0: Hello, listener, it's Gould here. Just before we crack on with this bonus episode of the Unbreakable Movie Chain, this is a reminder to check the show notes for this week's spoiler and content warnings. Enjoy the episode!
1: welcome to this special bonus episode of the Unbreakable Movie Chain. This week, we'll be catching up on what we've been watching for the past few months while we've not been recording. I'm Ed Howells, and I'm joined by my co-host, Madeline Gould. How are you doing, Gould?
0: Hi, Ed, you are all right?
1: <laughs> oh, I'm very well, thank you.
0: It feels like a fucking age. The, where it's raining like the world is ending, so I feel really snug and nice sitting, getting ready to chat about what we've been doing on our summer holidays.
1: So, for anybody who hasn't Caught the Jurassic Park episode yet? Um, And if you haven't, why haven't you? We hadn't recorded for several months um, since you last heard from us on the uh, Little Women episode and indeed it's subsequent animation bonus episode. So we're just getting back and catching up and we decided that there that we'd seen between us far too many films. I reckon sort of conservatively between the two of us we must have seen 80 or 90 films in the last two months. That sounds um, about right. Uh, so yeah we decided we'd seen far too much to uh, squeeze in to that main episode so we're going to do a special little catch up episode for you now and I think we're going to kick off with the biggest hits of the summer um a long overdue chat if there's anything left to be said about either of these films uh, we'll try and find those things to say (laughs) um they are of course barbie and oppenheimer let's kick off with barbie which i believe you've just been to see for the second time Gold.
0: I have I literally got I got back about half an hour ago from the cinema I was happy enough with it the first time around that I was happy to go and see it again which I suppose tells you a certain amount about how I felt about it I'm really glad I've seen it twice because the first time I really didn't know what to expect and so the second time going into it knowing what the angle was going to be it was really lovely to then engage with it in a slightly different way and yet my opinion of the film has definitely changed since the first time I watched it not for the worse or the Better... But it has just changed a little bit. What did you think of it when you went to see
1: it, Ed? I loved it. I was grinning all the way through from start to finish. I love just those sight gags at the start Mm. in Barbie's world. Uh, Her feet don't touch the floor. um, Coming down the slide into the water that you think is water. Oh, no, it's not water. I loved all of those sight gags. In fact, all of the stuff really inside Barbie's world, I really, really liked. My issues with the movie started when we got to the real world, where I think the the film itself just makes a few missteps not enough to sink it at all but there was stuff that sort of rankled with me the stuff with the CEOs Will Ferrell and the Mm. comedy board of directors. None of that was good at all. Yeah, the the only member of the board who um, came out of that with any sort of grace was uh, was Jamie Dimitriou, who I thought was fantastic. I
0: was so glad to see <laughs> Jamie Dimitriou! Yeah. It was such a lovely surprise! Yeah,
1: he's such, such, a, such a weird presence. I really like him, though.
0: One of the things I really appreciate the film for is that, unlike some films, it doesn't feel like it thinks it's doing you a massive favour by pointing out these things. Like, um, I uh, I know this is a weird film to bring up in a discussion about Barbie, but um, Men, uh, Alex Garland's Men, oh, yeah. which came out with Jesse Buckley and um, Dubreville. What's his name? Uh,
1: it's, the, um, man, the man. Rory Kinnear.
0: Rory Kinnear, who yeah. was amazing in it. They're both fantastic. Oh, yeah. uh, that film, the whole way through, I enjoyed a lot about it, but the whole way through, it really felt to me like Alex Garland was going, guys, I've discovered this thing <laughs> called <laughs> feminism. <laughs> and what I'm going to do... Is like and like and you're welcome. Um, Whereas this this felt much more like the, the the attitude of the whole film felt already like it was it was doing everything with a nod and a wink to the audience assuming that you already knew these things. And I mm. was really grateful of it for that. I thought that the um, the exploration of uh, the sort of crisis of masculinity among the Kens was yes. really interesting. And I loved seeing that. And I thought that because that was dealt with with such humour it was actually a much more successful exploration of that element of the whole thing. But yeah, I I mean, I don't really like Will Ferrell, so it was never going to be a particularly successful bit. But to me, it felt like all of that boardroom stuff was only there so that they could say, look at this company where all the people in charge are men and it's like okay yeah that's a really interesting point and a nice joke and mm. what a great joke it was in that film but did we really need probably 20 or 30 minutes of extra material in the film mm. to justify that one joke
1: i just felt like the the approach to the comedy of the board was just here are these men who run this company and they're just daft and that's all daft like it just sort of robbed it of any stakes actually because it was so impossible to take them Seriously, as an antagonist, or really anything, and that kind of made me go, Well, why are we watching? this then because there's no no there was no threat nothing was really happening
0: their arrival in Barbieland mm-hmm. had absolutely no impact on anything hap- at all uh, in any way
1: they just showed up
0: they were meeting in the room uh, for the finale I also found the ending slightly unsatisfactory and actually I think that I would have found the ending satisfactory if it had cut at a certain moment there's a montage yes if you'd cut just before that montage that would have been a perfectly fine ending I think it doesn't quite know who its audience is sure. and I think it doesn't quite know what point it's trying to make. Because there's a a kind of pull and tug between all of that lovely stuff that you were talking about at the beginning in Barbie Land, the kind of nostalgia, like anyone growing up playing with dolls, particularly Barbies, will know all of that stuff. Like my mum was talking to me about um, going to see the film and she really loved all the stuff with like how she's having a shower, but there's no water and she lifts the cup up and nothing comes out. All of that stuff, the slide, the fact that no one bothers to take their Barbies down the stairs, like that kind of stuff is really lovely. Uh, There's all of that, and then there's also the kind of politics of the film. Mm -hmm. I kind of got the feeling like Greta Gerwig was much more interested in the Barbie stuff than Mm -hmm. the politics stuff. I I feel like because she has so successfully handled feminism in some of her previous films it's like there was this expectation but I also feel a little bit like the politics the, the issues that they address in the film there's too much there are too many angles for you to make a film because there's all the gender politics stuff there's masculinity there's feminism femininity um, impossible beauty standards all of this stuff and they couldn't cover all of it they sort no. of nudged and winked at most of it but they didn't quite cover all of it so from that point of view I felt slightly dissatisfied sure But then, you know, if they'd made a film where they only focused on gender politics and completely ignored impossible beauty standards, we'd be like, well, where are the impossible beauty standards? Yep. And and vice versa.
1: Just as a sort of uh, rebranding exercise from Mattel, do you Mm -hmm. think it has done the job that it was supposed to do to get Barbie to be sort of more acceptable to, well, I guess to millennial and Gen Z mothers?
0: I don't know. I'll tell you something that's quite interesting. I have to completely credit Dr. Tilly Branson with bringing this to my attention, and now I was thinking about it. There are fat Barbies in Barbieland. Mm-hmm. There are not fat Barbies in the real world. Mm-hmm. If the idea is that every single Barbie in Barbieland is mm-hmm. a representative of a Barbie that is being played with in the real world, yep. The b- fat Barbies don't exist. It's like yes, there ought to be representation, mm. but it's that thing about like so. If there was a film that was about impossible beauty standards being met, which is something that the teenage girl does bring up in the film, doesn't she? She talks about impossible beauty standards. She does. Yeah. That didn't match up. Also, I think it would have been really lovely if maybe at the end the inventor lady was able to reflect on that point rather than it all being kind of rose tinted and wonderful and oh isn't she great yeah. this thing about like maybe if there had been a bit of a crossover between the woman who created Barbie as a concept and all of the unforeseen negative associations and her confronting some of those that might have been really interesting but you know they don't want to do that because they want it to be like hey happy ending Barbie I mean will you ever watch it again
1: yeah I would if I turned the telly on and barbie was on i'd be like oh yeah let's watch this
0: i would particularly watch all the bits with ken
1: sure and actually to be honest with you i I love margot robbie i think she's brilliant. oh god she's she's so so good in it i feel like ryan gosling has had a lot of plaudits for ken over the summer and not enough love has gone margot robbie's way in comparison i've never seen margot robbie be bad in anything
0: Oh God, no! She never is. She's fabulous. She's wonderful. Um, for me, the most successful scene in the film is the scene where Ken goes out into the world. It's there's a sort of montage of everything that he's seeing. That is the scene that made me kind of sit up and think, Ah, we're getting we're getting to it. This, yes. we're getting to the the meat at the heart of this. Yes, and everything else, the nostalgia and all of that stuff is really great, and I love it, and it's so much fun, my God! But ah, here's here, like exactly like you you say here's that nutritional content yes uh, however sort of unsuccessful some other of the uh, the nutritional content might be it's so much fun that i'm like yeah great so yeah no move us on ed sorry i'm, I'm wanging i'm wanging <laughs>
1: no you, you, you're doing good wang
0: i'm, wa- I'm wanging hard <laughs> but now i need to wang fast
1: so, ed. <laughs> so yeah let's uh yeah let's move on and have a little chat about oppenheimer Really, the the big thing with watching it on IMAX was the sound and the way the sound hits you and shakes you and goes through you. Yeah, that was fabulous Uh, what what, what did you think of the film itself
0: well i'll tell you i'm really really glad that i saw it on the big screen because it is i mean unlike barbie barbie was lovely to see on the big screen Mm -hmm. but like you say if it was on telly i would quite happily sit and watch chunks of it and as uh, the same with i think most of christopher nolan's films they demand cinema they like that's the point of cinema there are certain moments in oppenheimer which are i think are just pure cinema like if you needed to explain to an alien what the point of going to the cinema was the test in Oppenheimer would be an excellent example in terms of a story Mm -hmm. I don't think it works as well oh interesting it feels to me like three different films smushed together there isn't enough time to connect all of those three things properly I have issues with Christopher Nolan's scripts as a filmmaker undeniably he's phenomenally good with a camera (laughs) and (laughs) and a a set and actors like he's, he's amazing but his scripts I think Fall down for me. It felt like he'd read a book mm-hmm. and thought all of it was interesting mm-hmm. and made a film about all of it <laughs> and sure. nothing was really given enough time to properly shine. Um, mm-hmm. And I just thought it was a woeful underuse of Florence Pugh and Emily Blunt, um, which is something that I think quite a lot of people have said. Yeah. But that being said, all the performances are absolutely knockout. Mm. How wonderful to see Robert Downey Jr. do something that's not Iron Man.
1: <laughs> oh my goodness! Yeah, no, I, 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 at this particular moment in time, can't see anybody else walking away with the Best Supporting Actor Oscar.
0: Ah, that would um, be lovely. I, yeah,
1: I think, I think it's Downey Jr.'s.
0: Like I'd forgotten that Robert Downey Jr. is an incredible actor as well as someone who's just very charismatic mm. on screen. Yes. Um, and it was wonderful to see him do some. Work Book.
1: oh loved it. <laughs> I'm gonna, uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to disagree with you about the the narrative. Yeah, no, because I think you know what it it made me think of most the sort of narrative structure of it. So this sort of for anybody who hasn't seen it, surprise, surprise, Christopher Nolan. It's not a linear narrative. <laughs> um,
0: what you mean? It doesn't go in a straight line. It does
1: not go in a straight line. <laughs> it's you know it. it, it Flicks around in time in actually very, very small vignettes in the Mm. life of Oppenheimer. And what it made me think of is, you know, that thing in Watchmen Mm. where Dr. Manhattan talks about how he perceives time. Yes. As just everything happening all at once. I got the same thing from watching Oppenheimer. That was the impression mm. that it gave me, the the, the story of it. Mm. And so I really love that it was sort of three different films smushed together because that mm. is kind of the point. Like for the first ooh, 20 minutes or half an hour, I was just like, oh, I don't know what's going on here. And I just sort of trusted that by the end, I would have a clear picture of everything that was happening, and I absolutely Mm. did. As far as Emily Blunt and Florence Pugh being underused, there's more to it than screen time, and I think both of them get moments to shine, and they both produce magic in those moments. I don't know that either of those performances would benefit from more screen time. You know what I mean?
0: Mm. I came away feeling the presence of those characters in the story smacked of tokenism to me, okay. uh, which I un- I understand why that might be. But I also just felt like, it, like, do you know what? If what you need to do is make a, re- a film about a load of men in a room, because uh-huh. that's historically what was going on. It's like, do that and do it well. As, as good as she was, I did feel slightly like Emily Blunt had been relegated to kind of, you know, miserable wife status. And, you know, Florence Pugh was extremely good, but mm-hmm. was just sort of there to have sex with him and die. And mm. it, do you know what I mean? I was just a little bit like, I, I, I don't know. It just, it didn't sit very well with me. It took sure. me out of the, it took me out of the film. Mm. And I, I will say there was a brief period in the middle where I was quite cross with the film. <laughs> <laughs> okay. for, um, for not taking me along with it. Mm-hmm. But then the, that kind of, the denouement, it, it did all build very satisfactorily Mm -hmm. to a very satisfactory ending um, where it became a kind of courtroom drama. It was really exciting. I really enjoyed that. And from that point of view, yes, the three stories all coming together that did work very well Mm -hmm. it's just that while it was happening Mm -hmm. like while ever we were with a particular segment i would i felt like there was something lacking like i'm not sure that i'd be willing to sit through two and a half hours for the exciting half an hour at the end Mm -hmm. do you know what i
1: mean okay yeah i get get that but like without that two and a half hours that exciting half hour at the end wouldn't mean nearly as much exciting yeah exactly (laughs) um Yeah, uh, I mean, all, all, all I've got to say about Oppenheimer after that, really, is Killian uh, Murphy fab. And my other thing is, why, why does Christopher Nolan always cast Ken Branagh to do accents? Uh, <laughs> it's like, oh, we need, uh, we need a, a German physicist. Oh, Ken will do it. Will you watch it again, Ed? Uh, yeah, almost certainly at some point.
0: I won't, but I I'm glad have. I've seen it. <laughs>
1: Excellent. So, um, so what what's been like the the best film you've seen while we've been away? What what has floated your boat particularly?
0: Well, I'm going to give you a rewatch, and I'm going to give you a first time watch. Okay. So, um, me and Richard went to the cinema to see uh, a one off showing of Park Chan Wook's wonderful film The Handmaiden oh excellent which have you seen it no
1: I haven't
0: it's a really excellent film it's from 2016 I saw it when it first came out and really loved it and then um, yeah the Broadway were doing a screening of it and I took Richard along to see what he would make of it and I was like you don't know what's coming <laughs> you're about to have a weird time so Park Chan-wook is probably most famous I would say for his Vengeance trilogy, which is an old boy sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Lady Vengeance.
1: Yeah, I would say Um, he's mostly known for old boy. But The
0: Handmaiden is it's a very, uh, very loosely based on um, the novel Fingersmith by Sarah Waters, which is a British novel. It's so funny. Richard was surprised by how funny it was. I'd forgotten how funny it was, but it is also a completely sumptuous delicious look it's so beautiful mm. it's really funny it's a twisty turny thriller it's just I cannot recommend it highly enough Ed and I I really enjoyed watching it on the big screen but I don't think it's not like it would look shit on a small screen because it's just so gorgeous and entirely to be expected because it's Park Chan work yeah. there is a not a small amount of fucked uppery <laughs> <laughs> to be baffled by (laughs) I can
1: only imagine
0: and the first time watch mm-hmm. I cannot tell you how surprised I am to discover that I loved this film as much as I did mm-hmm. Um, I watched Rocky for the first time <sighs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what it was it was a uh, it was a retaliation against Raging Bull which I started watching because I was like oh I better watch this classic and finally see this incredible film and I got about half an hour in, I was like I fucking hate this Um, <laughs> so I turned it off and then the next hour I was like right come on boxing film sort me out let's Let's see some indecent, and then um, I loved Rocky. I loved it so much. It's ever so good in it. It couldn't be further from being about boxing. No. <laughs> Um, so, yeah, what about you? What have your kind of, um, your highlights been?
1: My big highlight, it's a film that I I hadn't seen. And in fact, actually, when it was in the cinema, I did go to see it. But the screen, the, there was issues with sound or something. So I went to watch The Black Dahlia instead. And it was <laughs> fucking rubbish. <laughs> it's rubbish. It's what I wanted to see and what I didn't see then and hadn't seen subsequently was Children of Men. Oh, my goodness. And it's... Fantastic! What a great piece of filmmaking. Oh, Ed, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yes, I am too. I, I I got a weird thing about Clive Owen. I always think Clive Owen is at his absolute best when he's not saying anything. And quite often, as soon as he opens his mouth, it it weakens him. He's this incredible screen presence when he's silent. Yeah. So I I loved Clive Owen in it, even. But yeah, what a film! It's Alfonso Cuarón, isn't it? Yeah. What it a is. filmmaker. And actually, he's going to crop up again. Uh, yeah. He's going oh, to he's going to crop up again in this conversation. Well,
0: welcome. Welcome, Alfonso. <laughs> Welcome,
1: Alfonso. We're fans. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like your work.
1: Let's have a little chat about some lowlights. What, what was the what was the worst film you watched?
0: No, the, yeah. The, so the actually worst film than I the one watched, you hated which is the most, not the one I hated the most. The one that was objectively bad yeah. is um, a 2018 Liam Neeson film called The Commuter. I don't, have you seen this film?
1: I have not. No. <laughs>
0: Liam Neeson is grisly man. Ends up with a gun. Takes yes. down some baddies, but then this one—it has such promise. You look mm-hmm. at it; it's the rest of the cast is absolutely fantastic. It's Vera Farmiga, Patrick Wilson. It's an early Florence Pugh, um, but it's just dreadful. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's really shit. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Fun, punchy shit, or, or or was it dull?
0: Yeah, no. This was—it was dreary and dull. There was nothing in there that was any different from anything else that you would have seen, and it was like all of the people in it were just sort of there. (laughs) So, you know, it was an easy paycheck, um, I think, for everyone involved.
1: Um, What about you? Well, unquestionably, the worst film that I watched while we have been away uh, was The Football Factory. Um, (laughs) So... We, we've both been kind of boning up on sports films a little bit in preparation yeah. of the uh, much delayed conversation we're going to have about sports films. <laughs> Thank God thought... it's
0: been delayed because I hadn't even seen 10 sports films before.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I thought, I thought, well, let's... Let's have a look at this. It's it's free on Prime. Let's have a look at Football Factory. It's just it's just bleak. It's just depressing. There are a, there are a couple of couple of good performances in it, notably from uh, Neil Maskell and actually Danny Dyer is really good in it as well. But the the film itself, I thought, was so it kind of revels and glorifies in something really quite awful. You know, pe- people level this accusation at Goodfellas all the time that it, it glorifies organised crime and this lifestyle and all that sort of stuff and I'm not entirely sure it does because I'm not entirely sure Scorsese's on the side of Henry Hill and the gangsters Football Factory just revels in and glorifies football hooliganism Like I I, I was watching it and I thought that there was going to be a a lesson learned at the end and you know it doesn't really do it at the end you just get Danny Dyer going "Eh, well I'm just going to carry on doing this and I was like oh fuck this what a thoroughly depressing movie it was yeah what I really wanted to watch as a film about football hooliganism was Alan Clarke's movie The Firm but that's really hard to come by so I watched Football Factory instead and it was an inadequate substitute as far as I'm concerned but I believe it's a much more interesting and nuanced examination of the phenomena of uh, football hooliganism. So I think that probably brings us on quite neatly to uh, any classics that you might have watched while we've been away.
0: Um, well, there's been a 4K restoration release of 1953's Tokyo Story mm. which um, is one of those films that always crops up on like the greatest films ever made. And I was like, well, I've got a perfect opportunity here to kind of plug a gap and see this movie. I'm extremely glad I've seen it. I probably won't watch it again. Um, I understand why for the time it was such an exceptional movie. I don't think it necessarily has the same impact now um, that it did. It's extremely meditative. It's probably not the kind of film that I would say is like my favourite kind of film. It's very... It really plods along. And it isn't one of those films where like a load of stuff happens. But it's got wonderful performances. It's, um, there is a absolutely, it's some of the best drunk acting (laughs) I've ever seen on screen. There's a gorgeous scene where there's these three old pals sitting at a bar at midnight in Tokyo drinking sake. One of them's falling asleep they're having a ramble. It's just—it's really beautifully observed drunk acting. It's really, really great. And um, a really knockout performance from an actress called Setsuko Hara, who plays Noriko. She's the one who you mostly see on the posters for Tokyo Story, but she has this wonderful performance, which you only realise is truly wonderful in the last scene, because the rest of the time you're like is she doing good acting or is she doing really weird acting? And then you get to the end and realise that it's like, it's all part of this tension that this character's been carrying around. Mm -hmm. Um, And she kind of has a release and you're like, oh, fantastic. And she's, Mm -hmm wonderful in it like you cannot take your eyes off her she's really fabulous yeah I'm really glad I've seen it it's a proper classic I think if you're interested in films that are quite kind of pondersome Mm -hmm. it's a kind of examination of a family dynamic and aging and the dynamics between brothers and sisters and parents and children and all of this stuff it's really uh, it's really really great for that point of view but i wouldn't say it's probably my favorite that i've ever seen
1: i feel the same way about i, I watched ingmar bergman's the silence and yes yeah, I, I, I felt the same way about that
0: yeah what was your classic
1: that you that you caught up with um kind hearts and coronets oh which, i've never seen it yeah, is it good i hadn't seen it either it's terrific it's ever so funny yeah and alec guinness is just
0: is it the one where he plays everybody
1: yeah yeah it's it's really really great i urge you to catch it as soon as you can black comedy like the the darkest of the dark what have you what have you gone back to for sort of nostalgia purposes
0: well i have had a really wonderful experience over the summer Uh, my nephew who has turned nine and he is obsessed listening to the soundtrack on loop listening to the audiobook on loop obsessed with the Lord of the Rings. Uh. So for his ninth birthday, he came down um, and stayed with me and Richard and we did a marathon and did all three of the films. It was great. And what was really lovely about it is that he's kind of, he's got to that age where he's got like obsessed with the trivia. So he was like, oh my God, did you know that he really did break his foot when he kicked that helmet? And like, oh my God, did you know? And he was telling me all of this wonderful stuff that I kind of already knew, but I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, amazing, amazing.
1: Most of the facts about how hardcore Viggo Mortensen is,
0: yeah basically what an (laughs) absolute legend vigo mortensen is but you know sitting and watching the whole lord of the rings trilogy but through a nine-year-old's eyes for me the first film the fellowship of the ring is by far and away the best of the three
1: yeah i think it's the tightest story i think it's the easiest to adapt because it's such a such a clear narrative
0: yeah but there's a lot about the film as well that i think is much more successful than some of the stuff in the other films it was a really wonderful experience it was a proper pajamas and blanket on the sofa Big telly, loads of snacks. Great fun.
1: Which versions did you watch?
0: Theatrical. We didn't do extended because I I worked out how many more hours that would take. (laughs) And he, he is only nine. Yeah.
1: No, uh, me, me and Jem did the extended ones in lockdown.
0: Oh, did you? Yeah, we did, yeah. Do you prefer the extended ones or do you prefer the theatrical release?
1: I don't know. I don't have an answer for you on that. I'd have to watch the extended ones again to do a sort of side-by-side comparison. You
0: have to do a controlled experiment.
1: Yeah. Right, okay. Well, off you go and just
0: uh, do that. Uh, what about you? What did you watch uh, for kind
1: of nostalgia? Jem uh, and I were away at a caravan in sort of mid-Wales. They also had a load of DVDs that you could borrow. And among them was Alfonso Cuaron's adaptation of the children's classic, a little princess it's so good it's really 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 wonderful and i just was grinning all the way through it i had such a such a such a lovely time the girl at the center of it is fabulous she's really Mm. really really strong a rooftop in the rain scene that is genuinely thrilling and that you go oh my god is somebody gonna fall and the the climax is is properly exciting. And also, it's got a great performance. Yeah, as the sort of villainous head of this boarding school, um, Miss Minchin, a fabulous performance from Eleanor Bronn, who I don't know that I've seen in anything else, but she's absolutely terrific. But yeah, if you get the opportunity to watch A Little Princess, I fully recommend it. (laughs) What's the weirdest film you've watched while we've been away? (laughs)
0: Um I want to talk about two films. Oh god. On, of them. One of them isn't actually that weird, but it just really surprised me. The the um yeah, I put it on again in my search for sports films to put on my top 10 list. This cropped up on Netflix and I was like, oh, yeah, all right, why not? Another Liam Neeson film uh, from 1990. It's called The Big Man. It's a he plays a Scottish striking miner who ends up bare knuckle boxing in order to support his family. That in itself is not what's weird. What's weird is that it's a like a, a little indie Scottish film that's kind of about like working class people trying to better themselves, getting involved with organised crime, bare knuckle boxing, all this stuff. It's got a score by Ennio Morricone. Cool. Which is so cool, but you're like, what? And the cast is really odd. It's like um Liam Neeson's wife gets seduced by Hugh Grant. And you're like, Hugh Grant, what are you doing in this film about minors in Scotland? It's very, it's just a really um I mean, the film itself, it's it's only slightly successful, but what I will say is the fight scene mm. is extraordinary it's um it's really worth watching okay. and i don't think you need the rest of the but unlike with oppenheimer you don't need to sit through the, what's come before in order to feel the impact of that fight scene. It is absolutely extraordinary. I'm sure you'd be able to find a clip of it on, yeah. uh, on YouTube. It's so impactful. It's hard to watch. It's really, really good. But the actual weirdest film I've watched is a um, a 1981 film, which has been on my list for ages. Mm-hmm. It is Possession, uh, directed by Andre Zavovsky. I mean, it kind of merges into a horror film from a kind of domestic drama, it's extremely hard to watch it's kind of the the story of a breakdown of a marriage, mm-hmm. but it is so gruesome and it is crackers. It is absolutely mad. The central couple um, are played by Sam Neill and Isabel Ajani. And Isabella Gianni, um won all kinds of awards, was nominated for Best Actress Oscars, mm. all sorts of stuff. Phenomenal actress. And in the film, she has this kind of one take fit, I suppose is the only way of describing it, in a subway station. I have seen and footage of this, yeah. Have you? Yeah, I've seen it. It's extremely intense. Did I enjoy it? I'm glad I've seen it. <laughs> it's absolutely bizarre sure. <laughs> and if you haven't seen it ed please watch it so that we can have a conversation about it cuz it's so impactful mm-hmm. but i don't know if i think it's good
1: well that surely merits conversation so yeah I, I will i will have a watch and we'll have to have a chat about it at some point in the future it
0: would be a really good one to do on the pod apart from mm-hmm. if any of our listeners attempted to watch along with us i'd feel a little bit guilty about making other people watch Inflicting this film
1: it on <laughs> To <laughs> me, <laughs> I mean, you, you're trying to inflict it on me.
0: I know I that you it. would yeah. sit and watch it, and you'd um, you can a you can handle it, uh, and b you'd enjoy interrogating it. Whereas, I think um, you know, if 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 that's not what you're into, I'd say if you want a challenge and you want to see some absolutely. Phenomenal, but really out there performances mm. um I'm very surprised to find that it is often on like the greatest films of all time lists just because it's so weird mm. but yeah, no, so that was my my weirdest watch. what about you ed
1: uh unquestionably my weirdest watch, just a really random curio I found on prime early Jackie Chan movie from his Hong Kong days um when he was like mm. properly in charge, he directed it and yeah had his team that he made movies with Uh, it's called dragon lord it's an action comedy and it's absolutely batshit (laughs) completely baffling um it actually it would count as a sports movie there's an extraordinary scene in the middle of it that i believe took like 200 takes to do it's this sport where they're kicking a shuttlecock around it's like football but with a shuttlecock and they've got to sort of keep it up in the air with their their feet and get it into the goal and the The choreography of it is incredible. The film opens with uh, another sort of contest where they've got to climb this tower and grab a flag at the top of it. Um, And there's like 200 men run at this tower and charge up it. And they're all throwing each other off it and down it. And they're all tumbling off, all trying to get this. The stunt work is extraordinary. It just... All looks like they killed themselves. And my understanding of the way uh, Jackie Chan and his team worked back in the day was that, yeah, it was like that. They were all just breaking bones and it was insane. The dialogue is baffling. And I think it's probably something lost in translation, both of the actual words and of the comedy of the scene that has been written. Yeah, I wouldn't watch it again, but I'm I'm glad glad I watched it it, because it was just mad. All right uh any other films you'd like to just mention did you go and see cobweb uh no I didn't I wanted to but no. I didn't see it in the end yeah I
0: mean it there was um, there was a lot about it that I really enjoyed mostly Lizzie Kaplan is fantastic in it she um she knows exactly what film she's in and is having a blast <laughs> playing the mum um and again like with so many horror films the ending is disappointing but there's a lot of really good stuff in there it's good and creepy it is slightly baffling to me that it came out at the end of august rather than coming out in october because mm. ha- it's the perfect spooky kind of halloween movie yeah. um to the point where it is set at halloween <laughs> so i'm really confused I'm, I'm like the family live in a house that has a pumpkin patch oh. so I would say it probably will be on streaming by the time you get to Halloween and you could do a lot worse I mean one of my favorite things to do is watch films that have a supernatural element and then tear the supernatural element to shreds and try and find logic um, so I had a fantastic time because the supernatural element in this makes absolutely no sense <laughs> it is entirely illogical um so from that point of view I had a wonderful time then I would also just like to say a couple of things that I've watched at home I thought Casino was really good. Really enjoyed Casino. Yep. I'm really glad I've seen it. Sharon Stone is just unbelievable <laughs> in it. She's so good. Do you see what I mean about it? it's
1: It's like Goodfellas, but without the swagger. I
0: kind of know what you mean. It's slightly more... Uh, what I really enjoy about it is how... Uh, what a resistant gangster type figure mm. Robert De Niro is in it. He kind of just wants to hang out in his dressing gown. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and have a nice life. <laughs> yes. He's not that bothered. And Joe Pesci's fantastic. It's just, yeah, it's such a good film. I really, really enjoyed it. Unlike Heat, which I think I've already wanged on about on the main pod, I might, oh. I just, I mean, what a snooze fest. Also, Moneyball is a total snooze fest. I really didn't enjoy Moneyball at all. Have you seen it? Yeah, I
1: loved Moneyball when I saw it. I really, really Did loved you? it, yeah.
0: Okay. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. Uh, but I watched that, again, this kind of search for a sports movie, and mm. I sort of said to my my sister loves sports films, and I was like, oh, what shall I watch? And she was like, oh, watch Moneyball, it's amazing. Which sister? Kath. Yeah. Claire told me to watch Karate Kid. Well, so, that's good too. Yeah, it's amazing. I, I loved
1: Karate Kid. <laughs> Have you not uh, seen Karate Kid?
0: no I'd never seen it I know Um, but it was one of those ones where I knew about wax on wax off but I didn't know do you know what and I mean? What I meant. sort of knew, yeah, but I didn't really know. So yeah, I'd like to thank Claire for the recommendation of Karate Kid, and I'd mm-hmm. like to encourage Kath to think of some different sports films to recommend to me because Moneyball did not go down well. I also caught up with Scarface. Um, I remembered that I'd got bored of it and turned it off after half an hour mm. previously. So we did actually make it all the way through to the end. Mm-hmm. I don't. I didn't rate it massively. Ah. It's slightly more fun than other films of its ilk, but I can't. It's one. I think I find it difficult with films that have anti-heroes in that way because I'm just a bit like well I don't care if he gets shot in the head kill him uh, sure. kill him as soon as you possibly can do you know what I mean oh and mm-hmm. um, sorry one last one which is a weird note for me to end on mm-hmm. with my runner up run down um, Ed you would not enjoy this film but I just want to give a shout out to all the people who fucking love the romance novel Red White and Royal Blue the film adaptation of that dropped on Amazon Prime a few weeks ago I've watched it it's dreadful and I loved it <laughs>
1: I don't know what film you're talking about.
0: It's uh, it's Pants <laughs> um, it's really true I was expecting because so this book Red, White and Royal Blue by Casey McQuiston is, um, it's a romance novel mm. and it has been humongously successful mm. the basic premise is that the son of the President of the United States and basically Prince Harry <laughs> have an affair and are in love huh. and it's a kind of enemies to lovers romance trope it's great the book is really good fun the adaptation it's much l- much lower budget than I thought it was going to be mm. I thought that they'd really pump, pump some money behind it but it's quite naff it's very kind of hallmark but there are some moments in it where you can see the director making choices about how to tell this story that are really good like um there's a scene where their eyes meet across a dance floor and everyone else in the room goes down low to Mm. the floor and they stay standing and it's just like there's some really wonderful choices but there are also some of the most honkingly bad performances I've seen in a long time i had such a good time watching it because the bits that i liked i really liked and it really and it, it made me happy and the bits that were bad were so bad that i enjoyed watching them so pick it up <laughs> <Cool>. <laughs> what about you ed what's your um anything else that you want
1: to yeah mention? so there's just the three three films that i that i wanted to uh, make mention of um two were sort of classics that i've not seen and one is a classic that i Have seen. Um, Mm. One of them is one that I thought was great and it really blew me away. One of them was a disappointment, and one of them is exactly the film that I thought it was. So we'll start with one of the classics that I hadn't seen. Um, I watched uh, the early Studio Ghibli film, uh, Grave of the Fireflies. Oh my goodness, it's the most beautiful moving war movie it's a war movie without any battle it's a war movie without war it's about the the impact of war on people at home in japan during the second world war just really struggling to keep themselves alive and you know at the start that they're dead because they meet as, as ghosts at the start yeah. and you watch their whole journey and it is absolutely breathtaking piece of work uh, so yeah grave of the flyer flies big thumbs up um the disappointment was john carpenter's Escape from New York. I love John Carpenter. It's such a weirdly subdued film. I thought it was like an action film. Yeah, I thought it was going to be too, and I think it sort of is, but it's not balls to the wall. I spent the entire movie sort of waiting for it to kick off. Um, yes, yeah, so that was that was a real disappointment because, as I say, I love a bit of John Carpenter. I would argue that if you want any kind of action movie, you can't do any better than a Zon Precinct 13. Whereas Escape from New York kind of just meanders around for a bit, meets some strange people in this post-apocalyptic New York and uh, then it sort of finishes. Um, so that was a, a bit of a disappointment. <laughs> the other film I wanted to make mention of is one we've uh, discussed briefly in the past and I wanted to catch up with it again. I wanted to re-watch it. Just in case I... Had the wrong impression of it, and I don't think I do. I rewatched Nightmare on Elm Street, and I still think it's mostly a comedy. (laughs) (laughs) And that's all I've got to say about it. I I still think it's mostly a comedy. I think it's I think it's really 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 funny. It it's not very scary, apart from in like one or two brief bits. It's a little bit tense. Freddy Krueger himself, like if you compare him to other uh, sort of slasher villains of that era, if you compare him to um, Michael Myers or Jason. Freddie Krueger is—he's a figure of fun. He's—he's he's got so much sort of wit and life, and Robert England as an actor has so much sort of fun playing him, and there's so much joy in that performance that he's just—it's just funny. He's just hilarious. And then when you get to the denouement where she set up all all of the booby traps around the house, she's basically proto Kevin McAllister. She just goes home alone. Yeah. It's really funny, and we might have to just well, dis- agree to disagree on that.
0: We do just have to agree to disagree because I think Freddy Krueger is fucking terrifying.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: He's a sex pest yeah. with a hand of knives. Yeah, when his hand comes up through the bath, mm-hmm. that's yeah.
1: That 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 is very affecting. That that is that is really horrible.
0: We do we just we just have to agree to disagree. I think that all of the comedy in Nightmare on Elm Street is unintentional.
1: When he gets. Hit in the stomach with the hammer that swings down—that's unintentional comedy.
0: Okay, well maybe maybe when we get now. to the end and it gets a bit homey. <laughs> no, when, but I'm so, when, I don't. When... I don't think. <laughs> I don't think. I don't. I think that they thought mm. that him being Mr. Tickle walking down the um, the street with his arms all long. I think mm-hmm. that was unintentional.
1: I think that probably was unintentional. But there's so much. I think there's that his... so much humour elsewhere they it's, so, it's so playful playful mm. but i don't think it's like
0: when his tongue comes out of the phone mm-hmm. that isn't that's not supposed to be funny that's awful that's gross that's like mm. that's a proper violation it's horrible
1: i don't know maybe maybe he's a
0: pedophile he, he's a he, pedophile he with he a knife with knife hands i
1: uh, no, he's a pedophile with knife is on his hands and i'm not on his side
0: um also i am only talking about the first film Sure. Um, yeah, Freddie Krueger's representation in the first film. I'm not talking about all of the others where he does obviously just become.
1: I think. I think that first film straddles a really tight line because there is plenty of like genuine horror the thing on the stairs the thing in the Mm. bathtub but I do think there is enough comedy in it that I'm very happy to and I think intentional comedy that I am happy to refer to it as comedy horror okay yeah whereas I think a lot of the sequels it got quite unbalanced
0: it's okay though Ed because even though we disagree on this I will carry on doing the podcast with you (laughs) good
1: thank you and I think on that note uh, I think it's probably time to say thank you all very much for listening please do tell your friends if you've enjoyed it actually if uh, you've enjoyed it also uh, tell your enemies because uh, they're not our enemies we don't care Um. (laughs) (laughs) laughter
0: Yeah, let us know what you did on your summer holidays and what you've been watching and if you've got any recommendations for us to catch up on. Um,
1: And the social media channels, were particularly active on Instagram and at the moment TikTok we're experimenting with, um, which has proved to be (laughs) quite a lot of fun. So get involved with that too. You'll find all those details in the show notes. So get in touch. And that's all I've got to say. Love you lots. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Bye Bye-bye.